and so welcome. Um, we have a good text. Uh, first of all, my name is Nelson Schmidt. For those of you who don't know me, I uh, have been fortunate to grow up in the church. Um, and at the invitation of Pastor Lyle and the elders and the Board of Governors, I am uh, pleased to be here. It's great to be here with you. So thank you. Um, and even standing up here at 58 years old, I'm still learning. We're all still learning until we meet our res- the resurrection of our Lord. So even though you've grown up the church, you haven't grown up the church, we are always still learning. We're gonna, today we're going to be talking about Palm Sunday, and I've entitled the message, the message is called Then and Now. And what I'm hoping to talk about today is a little bit, not only what happened in those days in our scripture, but also, how does that apply to our life today? What can we take out of that? And what's going on? And how can we apply that to our brothers and sisters in Christ? So, we're going to go ahead and read today's uh, reading is Mark 11, 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, why are you doing this, untying the colt? They answered as Jesus had told them, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches that had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So, the, the, in Mark, the, we have four Gospels that talk about this event in history. We have the Gospel of Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. They all talk about it. And the thing, the confidence about that is that it, all those Gospels and all those guys who wrote that confirmed to us that this event really happened. And so we're going to principally be talking about Mark 11 today, but we may be jumping into a little bit of Matthew and Luke as we study God's Word. So if I'm giving a sermon, and Pastor Lytle knows this, I'm always going to give you a little bit of a background. I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson of what's going on just to kind of set up the story. So what we, what we have is some factors of what I call the socio-political environment of the day. Kind of building up the, the back, what we call kind of the backstory of what's going on that particular day. And at that time of the Passover, the Romans had already conquered Jerusalem. They had been in Jerusalem for at least 100 years. Uh, not very well liked. This was the Passover. Jerusalem would normally be swelled very, very large at that time, more beyond its population. At this time, it was, it was thought that the population would be approximately about 2 million. There's a lot of different ways they backed into that number. But a large crowd, large like Houston, uh, the Romans are there. And then we also find out that up to this point, Jesus really had not spent a lot of time in Jerusalem per se. He had spent several years 
He had come there several years ago. But most of this ministry had been done toward Galilee and to the north. So he hadn't been to Jerusalem. This was kind of a big day. And then Jesus, as we get into this text, he absolutely places himself in Jerusalem on that particular day, at that particular event, on Palm Sunday. Because before that, right, when he was doing the miracles, he was telling people, oh, I just cured this person, but don't say anything. I did this. Don't tell anybody about that. But today was the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This was the day. Up to that point, it was, don't tell anybody. I'm going to retreat. I'm going to go this way. But today, it was a triumphal entry. So, what the, the result of this, the perfect storm, there was a, there was a movie several years ago called, it was called The Perfect Storm, and I think it had George Clooney in it, and it was about the perfect circumstances for weather. But there were some things, as we talked about just here a few minutes ago, there are some things that were going on in the background that really ignite, uh, kept, some more, kept, kept the crowd a little bit more ignited at that particular time. And so... A little picture here of Jerusalem. Here's a picture of Jerusalem, again, showing you a little bit about what's going on. Jesus had started out in Bethany, as we, uh, and at this time, as we found out from David Adams several, several, months, uh, several weeks ago, they had rebuilt Jerusalem. Nehemiah had built Jerusalem. It was a walled city. And so we started out at Bethany. And uh, this is the known or the purported track of, of Jesus started out in Bethany where a week beforehand he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And then he, you go about, this isn't the way it is today, but this was, was at that particular time. Come over there, go to Bethpage, you pick up more of the crowd, come down, come down the Mount of Olives, into the Hedron Valley, then he goes in the temple. The next day, not in today, in, the, in work, in Mark, it's known that a lot of, he came back the next day and cleansed the temple, not on this day. So a little bit about that. And you can just imagine the other thing is um, he, this, as you're coming down into the Mount of Olives, it's very easy because Jerusalem's an open city, right? I mean, it's not like today, right? In Houston, we have air conditioning. So we're closed off. We can't hear where the trucks come. But this is a very open city. You have to have a breeze moving through there. And so it's very easy to move from this side of Jerusalem over here to wherever the, the crowd is and to gather that and then watch them come down from the Mount of Olives. So what are we going to talk about today? <clears throat> the next slide is our outline for the day. We're going to talk about Jesus' ministries and twos, making disciples. What's that all about? What's, what's all this thing about twos and twos and making disciples? Then we're going to talk about fulfillment of prophecy. Then we're going to talk about what were the people. I want to know what the people are thinking that day. What is it that they were thinking that day? And this thing about rejoice. And then the failed coronation. What happened? What ultimately happened? So if you're ready to move into that, let's get started. So, as we get into Mark 1 through 3, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples. So we see time and time again that Jesus sends out two disciples, two disciples. 
In this case, sometimes he sends 12 disciples. You know, he'd take 12 disciples. It doesn't have to be two. We always see two. He doesn't send one. Now, frankly, to go out and get a colt and get this donkey from the village, you don't need two disciples. You probably just need one. But Jesus sent out two. Time and time and time we see that. We see that. And what, in, when I break this down, we, we are built to work in ministry together. We're not meant to build. We're not built to do ministry by ourselves. We're meant to grab our brothers in Christ, our sisters in Christ, our husbands, our wives, our grandmothers, our friends in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, grabbing people together to work to build up the kingdom of God. I always, uh, it saddens me to see that our brothers and sisters in Christ who go out and do work and they do it by themselves and they get burned out and they do too much and then they leave the church. And it saddens me to see that. So we're built. Jesus asks us to work together as disciples together to do things. Don't do it by yourself. Do it in groups. So we saw it in Jesus' time. We saw that Jesus would grab disciples and go in pairs. But even after Jesus ascended to heaven, we see in, in, in Acts, in Acts 4, where we see this. This is when Peter and John were at the Sanhedrin. There were a lot of things going on. But Peter and John, uh, here it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. So they were recognized. This is way beyond the point that, that uh, Jesus had ascended. And here we have Peter, who is the recognized uh, head of the church, along with John working again together, even the original disciples working together to uplift the body of Christ. And then we see it a little bit later in Acts 16, and we see it with Paul. We see it in this verse. He went to Derby in Lystra, where he made a disciple named Timothy, and whose mother was Jewish. And then Paul goes ahead in this verse, and he grabs Timothy, and they go together. They're together. Why do we go together? Why do we disciple so I, I broke that. Let's break that down just a little bit more. So I went out to the website of Oikos Church. And, I, and one of the things I found at Oikos Church was a vision of this. This is our vision at Oikos Church. Some of you guys know it really good. Some of you don't. But this is what we did. So we're breaking that down. We're taking what happened with the disciples. We're breaking that down into this community because Jesus did it. His disciples did it. And we believe that we should live lives that focus on making disciples of disciples. We hear Pastor Lytle, we hear the elders talking about we're making disciples of disciples and disciples. And how do you do that? How do we do that? We do it through training. We witness with each other. You, you watch me do it and you do it. I do it, I do it, you do it. And then we, we continue to make disciples. We do it by witnessing. We do it by working together, together with the body of Christ. Let's break that down a little bit more. How do we do that at Oikos Church, right, in this community of believers? One thing we can do, <clears throat> one thing that we can do is I hear uh, when we read about Jesus, Jesus, just think about it, what was Jesus doing? Jesus was 
ministering. He was talking to the disciples. They were talking about what was going on that day. He was um, praying. They were singing. They were worshiping. They were um, pr- uh, worshiping. They were doing everything together. They were sharing meals. Oh, well, how do I do that at Oikos Church? We have about a dozen MCs here in this city. And what do we do with those MCs? Oh, we go there. We share our frustrations. We share our thoughts. We share our, our, our work day, the things that frustrate us. We talk, we get the word of God. We sometimes sing there. We raise and rejoice there with singing and prayer. Then we pray. So when you kind of break it down even further into our community, you see that we are trying to make disciples disciples in the MC. Now, if you're not an evening person and you don't, can't get to an MC, then you always have, we have the last four or five years, we've had a morning devotion at Target. And you can look and do the same thing there. They gather, Jason plays songs, we have a devotion. Uh, if you're not a big dinner person, you drink coffee, you go there at Starbucks, we converse, we talk about our struggles during the day. How can we make disciples out of disciples? So not only were they doing it at that particular time in the Bible, but we're, we're also executing that here in this place at this time. And it's wonderful. It's fantastic. God wants you to have the blessing that comes out of those, those opportunities. And who knows? So we continue to, if we'll go back to what Pastor Wise said, what, 1,000 MCs, 100 churches? We have to make a lot more disciples, right? So, fantastic. So, my second point uh, as we move, we're talking about a little bit about uh, fulfilled prophecy. And so, I'm going to switch over to, from Mark over to Matthew. And in Matthew 21, 4, 5, it says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Say to daughter Zion, See your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foil of a donkey. So, what, what, what am I supposed to make of some of this to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet? Uh, in verse 6, it actually says, uh, in verse 5, is actually uh, an uh, exact uh, rendition of what is in Zechariah 9.9. So this was, this was done 500 years ago, the preciseness of pro- prophecy. The preciseness that uh, Malachi was a minor prophet, he had predicted this 500 years ago, up to this point point of Palm Sunday, right? 500 years ago. I mean, I was watching TV, I'll just admit, I was watching TV late this week. There's some interesting things on light night TV. There really is. Very interesting things. And and I turned it on, and I, I don't know, I think there was a, a commercial called The Psychic Connection, and they were predicting if you did this, you know, things like this would happen in your life. And then I think there was another one a couple of days later. It was, uh, I don't know, California Psychics or something like that. So, I mean, you know, so it's interesting stuff. I mean, what, what other areas can you have prophecy that's that exact, that precise, right? How precise 500 years ago. I mean, what else is there? Is there, I mean, you watch, I like, I watched the weather last night. I gave a seven-day forecast. The weather in, in this town, right? I mean, 
what, right? I think so. But what did I just say, right? I said the weather. This was 500 years ago. This isn't the weather, the precision of this. So what do I... Okay, Nelson, what are you trying to, what are you saying? What's the point of all these fulfilled prophecies and what's going on and that sort of thing? And my point is, the Bible, I, I did a lot of research on donkeys. I didn't even talk to Jessica Marziani this week, but I did some research on donkeys and found out how, how great their hearing was. But, I mean, what, what do we, does it even matter? Is all this fulfilled prophecy, does it even matter? I mean, where are you going with this? It does. So, the Bible is the only book that I found in my research over the last few weeks that confirms prophecy. I looked, I even looked at some things and some science books and tried to figure out that. And, and then, you know, there was this movie, I don't know, there was a movie seven or eight years ago called 2012 where the Aztecs and the Incas are trying to predict the end of the world. And I tried to find things in science that had this level of exactness of prophecy. And I just couldn't find it. I even looked into certain aspects of the Quran and some of these other areas. And the point I'm trying to make is only the Bible has this level of prophecy. It's the true word of God. It is the true word of God. And as we follow that true word, we are challenged to follow that word as far as we can possibly take it until our maker takes us to, the, to heaven. Um, so, as we look at the prophecy, there was one thing that was really interesting, and it was written by John in Revelation. So, I'm going to show you this verse. And John writes in Revelation 7-9, After this I looked, and there was a great multitude who, would, who no one could count from every tribe, nation, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and are holding branches in their hands. And as I was reflecting on that, are we seeing through this passage a foretaste of the feast to come? Are we going to be in heaven? Are we going to be in heaven and we are going to be rejoicing with God. We're going to be praising God. We're going to be saying, God, you're the greatest. And upholding palm branches when we're in, our res in, in the resurrection. And we're with, go uh, with God and all the communion of saints. Those saints being your friends, your grandmother, your, everybody. The great multitude. Huge crowd. Biggest It would be bigger than any Ron concert you've ever been to. So we move a little bit further along in our time together in Mark. And we, we get to Mark 8, right? And we read, many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in their fields. Before we can do that, we need to ask a question of ourselves, a very key question. And that question is, that the people at that time, did they think Jesus was just walking around, doing a few miracles, did a sermon on the mount, talked about turning wine, water into wine, or did they believe that Jesus was the true God? Right? That was the question of the day. Is Jesus just a guy that was walking around with a bunch of guys having fun, or was he the true 
man of God. And so, as we consider that, we consider their cloaks. And so, it says they threw cloaks on the ground. And so, today it's kind of not hot, but I've already brought this coat, right? And so, this is, so there's a couple of things going on with this coat this morning, right? I mean, if I wear this coat and I'm in business, it's, it's an okay coat, right? But I wear it, I'm in downtown Houston. Some of you guys and ladies, y'all are in business. You might put on a coat, you, you know, might put on a tie, I don't know. But if I put on this coat, you know, it's one of the better things in my, in my uh, repertoire generally. I want to look good, you know, I want to make a good impression. And so I'll put on this coat. Uh, this winter coat. And of course, coats are even more uh, valuable in the north, right? Because you want to stay warm and all that sort of stuff. So, but in those days, in those days, during biblical days, people would throw cloaks or other things onto the ground because they were subservient. They were subservient. If I throw something on the ground, that means I am subservient to you. So what's going on? What's going on here? What's going on with these cloaks? If I throw my cloak on the ground and I let a donkey walk over it along with 200,000 people, what does that mean? That's what I want to know. And my answer is, they're in it to win it. They, this is the Savior. This is the day. They are excited. We can't wait to get there. This is a throng of people that is building. We saw the map earlier, right? Saw the map earlier? That crowd was building. And now when I think about it, I'm thinking Jesus came to that east gate because he knew that he was going to be on top of a mountain and that crowd was going to continue to build. Everything was in God's, in Jesus' stand for, in Jesus' control. So, I mean, you don't just throw a cloak out there and you go and you cut a palm branch, you throw it down and you say, you know, hell king, hell, hell the illegitimate son of a carpenter. That's not what you do, Right? You're fired up. These people are excited. You don't throw your cloak on the ground and let a donkey in a foil and just let it tromp right over it. They were excited. They knew that this was a Savior. And you go, well, Nelson, you know, get off your soapbox, right? I mean, they, these people were oppressed. They were oppressed by the Romans. They were under bondage. We're not under bondage. We're free. We're not under bondage. We're free. The other thing that's a difference is they had been looking for a savior for hundreds of years. They had been following the prophecy, not just the prophecy that I just talked about a few minutes ago. They had been looking for it and looking for it and looking for it. And they were excited. How did they know? I mean, how did they know that? Yeah, they had, gone, they had built that all through. Um, we probably need to go to that next one, Jonathan, somewhere. So, we're, so, as they, so they were spreading clothes. We were talking about that. And then in Luke 19, we'll flip over to Luke 19. When he came near the road, he goes down the Mount of Olives. The whole crowd of disciples were joyfully praising God. Now, when I read this many, many times, not now, because Pastor Lytle is challenging me. But when I read the word disciples, I always, I always think just of the 12. No, 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 no. There's all kinds of disciples, right? 
We're discipling each other. There's all kinds of disciples. And on that last day, as they were discipling, they were overjoyed, right? I mean, they were just going crazy. It was a rock concert. You know, I hear people talking about Woodstock and all these things they've gone to or the Rolling Stone. I mean, it was just that, that was just amazing. So let's take a real life example. We just, last week, we just had the final four, right? We just had the final four, the big championship, the big final four. And in March, they have a thing called March Madness, right? And people get in these pots and they try to predict what's going on and they get this bracketology and it's all fun and we're getting excited. It's a big deal. Now, I know some of you guys are sports fans. I know some of you guys like the Nebraska Cornhuskers. And I know you guys like the Missouri Tigers. And some of you guys like the Texas A&M Aggies. Some of you guys like the UT Longhorns. And some of you guys like the University of Wisconsin. And some of you guys like the University of Houston. Now, I don't know if any of those schools were in that. But just imagine for a second, those guys, <laughs> just imagine. Hopefully they'll get there. Hopefully they'll get there. But whether it's the Final Four, the Super Bowl, or it's a college athletic, I mean, just think about what you would do. What, what would I do if, I, if, if I'm a big sports fan? I'm in the Final Four, and I'm excited. I'm as excited as the people who are there on that first Palm Sunday. What would I do? You know what we'd be doing? We would be painting our faces, right? We'd be getting the ball cap. We'd be putting on a shirt. We'd be getting the buttons. Oh, and then we'd be making a party beforehand, right? We'd be excited. I mean, we do it. We do those kind of things because we're excited. We're in it to win it, right? Our team's there. We're there. These guys were there. Why were they so excited? Well, they had witnessed the miracles of Jesus. They had been there when they saw the feeding of the 5,000. They had been there when they had fed the 4,000. They saw the the lame walk. They saw the blind see. They saw when Jesus cast demons out. They saw when Lazarus was raised. And the thing that, when I, when I saw that, it always falls on to me. The, this campus used to be called Bethany. And it always, I just get the biggest amusement that this was a former Bethany thing. And the street in front of it is called Lazarus. It's just amazing. I just get a big thrill out of that every time. Just amazing. Right? He said, he called Lazarus, Lazarus, please rise. He didn't call anybody else. Had he just said, please rise, everybody would have come out of his graves, Right? Absolutely. So they had witnessed the miracles of Jesus, and they had, and all those people that were there, I suspect that Lazarus and all those people that he had cured were there on that day with that crowd. They were there cheering because they knew that, that he was the Savior. He was the one, right? It's like being at the Final Four. If the, if the Final Four is in your town, if you're on hometown, man, we're, we're even going to play it up more than I just said, right? I'm going to call my friends. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the best tickets, and we're going to get to the game. And, and if, when I get to the game, I'm just going to be loud and boisterous. And if you're sitting next to me, I just don't care, right? I just don't care. I'm going to be loud. And if you're sitting to the left of me, and you're sitting to the right of me, or you're sitting in front of me, I'm going to be loud. Well, not that loud. I don't do that, but I might do it. I might do it. Let's just be honest with ourselves. Just for a minute. 
brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's just be honest. Are we excited about the second coming of Christ? I mean, really. Are we excited about it? Are we as excited as those people were on Palm Sunday? I'm not sure. Sometimes I wonder, even for myself, when I go to heaven, I'm going to run into our maker and say, Jesus, I would have known it was so great up here, I would have done it on earth. Sometimes, yeah. So the third, that is part of my third point, is what are the people, th- that's what a lot of the people were thinking. And then we get to this whole thing around rejoice. You know, when we were excited at the final four, but when it comes to entering the house of the Lord or we're going to go do something uh, with the brothers and sisters in Christ, we're not as excited, right? I mean, sometimes we're just not. You know, we're tired, we've got jobs today. We're just not as excited as if we were going to be at the final four. So the Lord asked us in Philippians 4.4, he says, don't rejoice in the Lord. Paul says in Philippians 4.4, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Right? That's in the present sense. So when, when, he, when Paul wrote this, he had gone through a lot of human suffering in his life. He had gone through a lot of suffering. But he, from that suffering, he saw the rejoice. We, we have suffering in our life, right? We have, we have things that go awry. We, we don't go to the college that we wanted to do, and our daughters don't marry the gentleman that they want to marry, and our, our you know, things don't go right all the time. We don't get the house that we want to get into. What Paul says here is rejoice. It doesn't say rejoice when I want to. I don't want to. It doesn't say rejoice when you want to. It says rejoice always, which means... Rejoice last week, rejoice yesterday, rejoice today, rejoice next week, rejoice next month, right? It says rejoice always. It's not when we want to do it. Um, So how do we do that? You know, we, we do that by certain things. Corporate worship, we're here at corporate worship, we're listening to the message, Jason and Ashley and the van are up here. They are praising God through, through music. I mean, when these guys get up here, they do a great job. I, I told Ashley the other day, I loved her Lauren Daigle song. It was awesome. When, when they're up here, they're not, this isn't a concert. They're, these guys aren't entertainers. They're here to uplift us in rejoicing. And sometimes we just blow it. We just can't let it out, right? We're so PC. Perfect example. Pastor Lila came up to me about three years ago and said, hey, I ran into a person, a, you know, I should have prayed him in, in the Pastor Lila. Well, why didn't you pray with him, right? I was scared. I didn't want to do it. Works too PC. It's too politically correct. I can't do it. I just couldn't do it. Now I can probably do it, Right? <laughs> Even at the age of 58, I can probably do it. Um, yeah, for sure. So God asks us to rejoice. That means not just in a corporate setting, but all the time. Rejoice in what we do. And so many times we get sidetracked in that, re- that rejoicing and that fulfillment and what God wants with you. Sometimes I should just say, I want to praise you, God. I'm going to rejoice with you. I'm going to sing the songs. I'm going to listen to your word. And I just don't care what anybody thinks. We don't do that. 
It's tough, right? We don't always do that. Um, Celia had a, a grandmother. This is a good example, I think. Celia had a grandmother who's now in heaven. Boy, she was devoted. She had 16 children. Three of them died in childbirth. Um, she was married to a man who didn't believe in God, didn't believe in Jesus. And then on their 50th anniversary, he came to accept Christ. It was wonderful, fantastic. But that lady, she wasn't rejoicing all the time. There were some bumps in the road. You have 13 children. You've got some bumps in the road, right? So, but fantastic. She was, a, she was just such a neat lady, you know? All the family around her. But we, you know, we can rejoice. We're, we're going to have problems in this life. Christ tells us we're going to have problems in this life. But sometimes you just got to let it go. You've got to let it go. You've got to let it go. Sometimes I go out into the yard and, I don't know, maybe singing a song that these guys sang a week or two before, and the neighbors must think I am just nuts, right? But I don't, I don't really, at this point, I just don't care. So I'm going to rejoice when I can, even when it's cut in the grass. So that's the third thing. You know, to sing his praises, to work to God's plan. You know, I know a lot of you guys, here's, here's another, another area. I know a lot of you guys have dogs. I mean, you guys love your dogs. We love our dog. We love Chulo. He's an awesome dog. The thing I like about Chulo is when I get home, that dog is excited. I could be having the worst day ever, and that dog is still happy to see me. You know, so you, I know you guys do that with some of your dogs, but so... Not like a pet and a pet ownership deal, but when I get home and I know that dog wants to love me and I've had a horrible day at the office and, you know, I'm kind of kicking around and I'm grumbling, you know, I want to hug the dog, I want to pet the dog, you know, pet ownership. God, God, it's not a pet ownership, but God wants that from us when we're rejoicing him. We're going to praise God, we're going to, we're going to fulfill ourselves with God, we're going to be happy, and that, that rejoicing will come back to us in our lives. It definitely will. So here we are on Mark eleven eleven, toward the end of our story here for today. And it said, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked at everything, but since it was already late, he took the 12 and they went to Bethany. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Here we were. We, we, we were there, right? We, we, we were like at the final four. We were rejoicing and happy in the multitude. It was so, there were so many people rejoicing that the, the earth actually shook by a lot of accounts. I mean, that's a, that's a huge amount of rejoicing. But now he comes in and he looks at everything. That's a little bit different than some of the other ones. Some of the other accounts said that he didn't, he didn't cleanse the courts until the next day on Monday. So he said, well, why did he go in there? He was checking it out, trying to figure out what the next day strategy was. Some people would say, well, he's casing the joint, right? <laughs> he was checking it out. But he goes in there, and we are on cloud nine. We are there. We've got our, you know, final four. We're, we're fired up. We don't care what anybody thinks. 
And he goes in and he goes, eh, I guess I'll go back. It's kind of late. <laughs> right? I mean, think about it. In our lives, how does that impact our lives? How can we be on a mountaintop one time and be somewhere else the next day or the next week? Happens all the time, right? I thought my daughter was going to marry this guy. He didn't. I thought my son was going to go to the University of Texas or Texas A&M. He went to some school out in West Texas. And I don't know. And so you're happy, but you're like, oh, it's, not a, it's not Texas A&M. It's not Missouri. It's not Nebraska, right? So we're, you know, we're, you're disappointed. I mean, me and Sylvia have been in leadership positions before, and we've, we've We've tried to lead people in business, and we thought we were all in. We were all in there, and then three months later, we're going down the road, and nobody's there. You turn around and say, what just happened? Taking that a little bit more personally. Several years ago, we had a, a property down in South Texas. Uh, we had our mother-in-law living there, and she moved away, and we had a, a little incident with... Uh, family member there that didn't go too good and we were praying about it for about four or five years what we should do and then finally we had to take the person out of the house that we had owned um, and you know it's tough um, but we we did it and uh, it was tough the problem was we had let everybody kind of know what the plan was everybody was in the plan and then a few days later, we started getting text messages and notes and saying, why did you do that? And you're the most terrible people. And what just happened? Right? That's probably happened to you in your life. What just happened? You're on the mountainside. In the next three, three or four days, your best friend is attacking you. And sometimes viciously. And now they didn't have social media like we have now. They don't have Twitter and they don't have you know, Facebook and all these other things. Now we got all these things, right? So some very, very interesting things. So as we reflect on Mark 11, we realize that this isn't really a true coordination, right? This isn't an inauguration. There's no regalia. There's no party. We're not going to the dance and the ball to figure out what's going on. There's not a crowning ceremony. There's no fanfare. There's no majestic pomp. It never happened. This isn't, this isn't a coordination on earth or in heaven. It never, it didn't happen. Because Jesus knew that he had to take this path that we see getting ready to take place the rest of this week. So, anyway, as we see what happens, you know, the Jews at that day, they, they wanted Jesus to do what they wanted him to do. They thought he was going to be the Savior. And when he, they were going to cast off the Romans, get rid of them, and when they, he didn't do what they wanted to do, they turned against him. And so we see this in Mark 15, uh, 11, 15, and 18. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the, the temple, of course. Now, this is the next day. Remember, he was cased in the place and went back the next day. 
and had been driving out who was buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers. And then in verse 18, right, we went from verse 11. Things are changing a little bit. Now we're at verse 18. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, and they began looking for a way to kill him, and they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed. So we see in a matter of just less than 24 hours, a crowd that says, Hosanna in the highest, you're the savior, you're the king, you're going to redeem us to crucify him later down, the, down this week. Just so fast. So, anyway, I mean, it makes you wonder. So those are the four things I wanted to kind of cover today. It kind of makes you wonder what the long-awaited Messiah had once had come, the King of Israel, had, had come, and not just out for Israel, but for all the earth, that Jerusalem would be his capital city. But if Jesus had taken his throne that day, that very first day on that Palm Sunday, none of us would be here. Think about it. Had he taken up his throne that day, and we had not gotten to the resurrection, to, to the upper room, with the disciples. We had not gotten to the cross on Good Friday. Had we not gotten to the resurrection? Because a week later, right, he's resurrected from the dead. Always, we spend a lot of times with nieces and nephews, both here in Houston and in Corpus. And Easter can be kind of a touchy subject. I think about my mom and dad. I know Sylvia does too. We go to the cemetery. And my nieces and nephews come up to me and they say, they call me Unky, right? Unky, what are you thinking about? And I'm just sitting there, right? I'm just not even doing anything. And I'm, uh, I may be saying a prayer and I say, I'm thinking about when all these people are going to come out of their graves. <laughs> and they say, what? Yeah, these people are coming out of their graves. I believe it. We're all going to come out of our graves on that last day. That's the question, not just for them at that time, that's the question for us. So, my prayer as we continue to move forward this week, that you do get to the upper room, that you do get to the cross, and you do get a return next Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Holy Father, gracious God, thank you for assembling us today to hear your word, Lord, to proclaim Hosanna in the highest, that you are the Savior, not just on that Palm Sunday, but always, Lord. We thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, this week, this Palm Sunday. And even though he will endure much suffering, Lord, and hanging on the cross, we know that he will rise the third day and during that resurrection he will overcome death devil all evil so that we might not die one day that we will also have everlasting life so as we leave this place this week i ask that you bless each person here in this assembly for those who joined us online um, for those who weren't here that you might they might find a blessing as they go along this week and reflect on all the great and omnipotent things that you did for us, Lord, because we're certainly not deserving of them. But thanks be to God that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to do that. 
So we pray this all in Jesus' most glorious name and all God's people say.